Lord Jesus, we, we welcome you here. We want you to be here. We want our hearts and our eyes to see you. And so therefore, we ask you, Holy Spirit, come and fall upon this place now. Fill us, we pray, that you may open our eyes, that you may confirm the truth which you have planted within us, and our eyes may see the Savior, and we may go, there he is, I see him. So we pray this day, let us see Jesus Christ in our lives and in each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I'm going to kind of be continuing on what Mark was doing with the, the theme, This is Jesus. Obviously, every time I get up to speak, it's going to be about Jesus, because that's what we are. We're followers of Jesus, so we're always going to get that. But as Mark was speaking the last few weeks, he's spoken about the lordship of Jesus, and he's spoken about the kingship of Jesus. And it really struck me about that. We, we so often and so easily just go, those words, Jesus is the king of kings and the lord of lords. But we don't really unpack what that means. You know, it's easy to understand him as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We hear that and we think, well, why do they say King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Why not just say King of Kings? Because immediately as you say King of Kings, for me, immediately along comes this Lord of Lords. And I was, I was pondering on that as Mark's been teaching about it. And, and the thing that gripped me about that whole King of Kings and Lord of Lords is kingship is normally the title or the, the symbol of the kingdom. That's the king. The king is the authority, but quite often the king was not the power. The king was not the power to actually enact things. He had his lords below him who would rise up with their armies. And he would say to them, you and you and you, gather the armies together, we're going this way. See, the king of kings had the authority, but the lords, that was where the power rested. And so when we hear this thing, king of kings and lord of lords, we're saying that Jesus is not only the authority, but he is also the power. See, he is the king over all kings. He is the authority over all authorities. And he is the lord over all lords. He is the one who can raise up and empower the nation to be able to move forward. The kingdom is powered by the king. And this is very unusual. You look through all history, it is not often that the king was the one with the power. He had those under him who would be the ones who would do his bidding. But Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords. The authority and the power. Now, how many of you here, I'm going to get you to raise your hands, how many of you here long, want, desire for a great move of Jesus Christ in this place? And I'm glad you've put your hand up because I'm going to challenge you later. Because what I'm speaking on today 
requires a lot of you. No, it requires everything. But it's not everything in one massive big leap. But it requires everything of us. Today I'm going to be speaking from the Gospel according to Mark. We're going to be going through the first 20 verses. And what I want you to understand today is what it means to prepare for the Lord. What does it mean to prepare for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to actually be in your life? If you've got a Bible, we're going to read from verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I mean, I, I just got to stop. Like, this is probably... I, how many of you love reading the Gospel of Mark because it's just like an action book? It's just like reading a comic book almost, you know? The action is just pulsating all the time. And the very first thing he starts with, he doesn't even start off with like, let me just tell you a little bit about the background to Jesus. I just going to, you know, he was, you know, give his genealogy and, and all the things. No, no, he doesn't. See, Mark, which we know is... Um, was known as John Mark. His, Mark is his surname, in fact. But he was the uh, he was the nephew of Barnabas, and it speaks also that his mother was called Mary, and she was part of the early church. In fact, when um, Peter was you know miraculously freed from the prison, the house he went to was John Mark's house. His mother was called Mary, and, they went, and he went there. So John Mark was around Peter a lot. He heard a lot of what Peter was saying. And in fact, some commentaries believe that the very end where it speaks about a, a young man having his coat grabbed and running away naked in the, the garden where Jesus was arrested was actually John Mark himself, because it's only ever mentioned in Mark's gospel. But they think that he probably would have been a teenager at that point. But he grew up hanging around Peter. So a lot of what Mark writes in his gospel, and he probably wrote this when he was in Rome, is very much the speakings and sayings of Peter as he went around preaching. And the other aspect of Mark's gospel that I I so enjoy is that it's not really expecting you to know much about Jewish traditions. It doesn't even really expect you to understand the Jewish culture at that time. Which is why a lot of white people believe that this is the gospel that was written for the Gentiles. There's so many um, Aramaic phrases and even um, Latin phrases that Mark uses. And so when we get Mark's gospel, it just seems like he goes from one thing to the next to the next. In fact, the word... Um, I think it's immediately or suddenly is used 40 times in this gospel. It's the shortest of gospels. And, and every time he goes, and immediately Jesus went there. And then immediately this happened. And, imme-, and it's just like this action-packed gospel. And there's a reason for this. It's because Mark wants to show us 
that Jesus is a servant, that he's always willing to serve. He goes here and there, the, the servant king coming and he's serving. And it is such an action-packed book of what Jesus did. It's his deeds, and it doesn't explain too much. There's not much dialogue. In fact, there's not really much of Jesus speaking so much as him doing. And right here in the very first verse, it says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Right there in the very first, his very first sentence, he's actually displaying the Godhead, the Trinity right there. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You see, whenever you see the word Christ, it's actually talking about the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So the very word Jesus Christ is actually immediately referring to both the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then it goes on, he says, the Son of God, which is referring once again to Jesus being the Son of God, which is the Father. And right there in the very first part of Mark's Gospels, he's saying to us, listen, Jesus is God. And then he just goes on. He's done with that bit, and he moves straight on. Let's read on. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, once again, he's finished with John now, John the Baptist, and he moves on. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heaven being torn open, and the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boats, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants. And followed him. There is so much in this just small passage of scripture that is speaking to us about the preparation required for a great encounter with Jesus. The very first 
reference that it uses here. It says of the Isaiah the prophet. Actually, the very first one it refers to here is actually from Malachi when it says, Behold, I send a messenger before your face. And in Malachi 3, in verse 1, where it comes from, this is what it says. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. The Lord whom you seek will suddenly, sounds very much like Mark, suddenly, will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. See, the book of Malachi was written 300 years before Jesus turned up, or over 300 years. And the very last thing Malachi goes on to say is prepare for Elijah. Prepare for the messenger who I will send, who will come. Prepare for him, for you will know him, for he will turn the fathers to the sons and the sons to the father. We read this at the end, the very last part of Malachi. He says this, Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. See, 300 years before Jesus turns up in this encounter with John, he's already preparing the way. And you see, this actual passage that Mark speaks of here is quite brief about what John is there doing. But when you read the other Gospels, especially in Luke, it actually tells you a massive big preparation that happened before John appeared. Zachariah, his father, was prepared for his son John the Baptist to come. And you remember that story, which is a fascinating story of this man who, who goes into the temple just once a year. This is his job, this once a year, to go into the temple. And as he goes in there, he's not expecting anything other than what normally happens. I'm going to fill up a bit of this and light these things and you know, tidy up that. And all of a sudden, the, ga- the angel Gabriel appears. And I love it when angels appear. What is the first thing they have to say to us? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. <laughs> yeah, fear not. They're te- they're, they're, can you imagine how terrifying this would be for him? And, and it's funny because he's in the house of God. He's actually in the very holy place where you would expect to encounter God. And when God is there by his messenger Gabriel, he's shocked and afraid and confused. What is this? Why are you here? What does Gabriel say? When Luke, he says, let's go to it. Do not be afraid, Zachariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. I mean, this is an amazing story here. Here is a man, John, being prepared by God before he's even born. 
And even when he's conceived in the womb, the Holy Spirit is going to be filling him right from that very start. He's being prepared for a purpose. And it's not only the preparation of him just... We have a similar story of Samson. How he was foretold and prepared. But his lifestyle was not one that was dedicated to the preparation of what God wanted him to do. He is a man who had been told, prepare for me to, be, to use you mightily, and then going off and doing what he wanted. Very different preparation for what God wanted to use. Here is John the Baptist, right from the very start, being told he's being prepared for the purposes of God. And then as we read in Mark there, He lives a life of preparation. Not only was he told that you are the one that was being prepared for for 300 years, John. For 300 years, we've been waiting for you to turn up. Can you imagine the weight of responsibility if you're told that? I'm going to read out the, the prophecy that his father spoke over his son. Could you imagine getting to an age and saying, oh, do you know what, son? I've got, I've got something for you. I, I said it when you were born, but here's, here's it again. Listen to this. Let me just get the... Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Can you imagine a more heavy mantle to be gifted with when you're born? You will be called the prophet of the Most High. You will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. Now this could cause people to do two things. They could either accept this and so therefore dedicate their life of being prepared for the one who would come or they could do the opposite and just go, do you know what? God said it, it'll happen. I don't need to worry about it. I can do nothing now. doesn't matter what I do. If God said it, it'll happen. That's it. But that's not the preparation that God has for us. See, when God prepares a people for himself, he expects his people to prepare for him. If we ever want to see a great movement of God, then there must be a great preparation for God. And this is serious. This is really serious. This isn't a moment of just saying, we've had words spoken over us as a church, therefore it will happen. 
Oh, I've had people speak into my life, therefore it will happen. It doesn't, because God says, I'm preparing a way for you. Will you choose to prepare yourself for me? God is sovereign, but we are responsible to respond to him. You see, the the preparation John was doing, do you know what John's message was? And we often think John the Baptist's message was repent, repent, repent. Do you know what his message was? It's, it says it here. And after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I will baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John's message was he is coming. It was not repentance. It was prepare for he is coming. And it just so happened for us to prepare, we need to get rid of some stuff. I read a guy who described it like this. If you were in Southampton and I said to you, come over to cows, I don't have to tell you beforehand to say, just remember to leave Southampton before you come to cows. Because by coming to cows, you've left Southampton. And this is what it means to repent. This is what John's saying. He is coming, prepare for him, and when you prepare for him, you will leave aside these things. Repentance is turn away, go God's way. That's what repentance is. So the sinful life, those things that trap and bind us, those things we'll leave behind because the king is coming. This, John's message was he is coming. He is coming. Prepare, 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 prepare. He is coming. And we go on through this and we, we see this beautiful passage where it speaks of the, the dove come down. And, and actually the way Mark writes this, he says that the heaven being torn open... It's a description of a, a renting of the, the very fabric of heaven. And out of this comes the Holy Spirit. And it's a very interesting that here's a man called Jesus, or Yeshua, which is a common name. He comes from a, a nothing town, Nazareth, in an ungodly place called Galilee. And he's in a river that is... Really not nice. And in fact, the rabbinic tradition used to say that the Jordan was not even valid for purifying or cleansing. So here we have an average named guy from a place where nothing good comes from in a land that is not righteous, being baptized in a river that not even the Jews think could cleanse anything. And in that moment... The heavens are ripped apart. And God, in the form of the Holy Spirit, descends upon his Son. And the voice of the Father speaks out. And in this moment, in in an ordinary place, the very presence of the triune God is seen. 
Now, why did Jesus get baptized? Why did he baptize in the Jordan? Well, we know that Jesus had no sin, so the baptism wasn't a baptism of repentance. It's a baptism of identity, identifying with humanity. And in this moment, not only is his baptism for Jesus to identify with humanity, but it's in this moment that humanity has an opportunity to identify the Savior. See, the baptism was two ways. In this moment, John the Baptist identified the Savior. He goes, this is the one I have prepared you for. The baptism of Jesus was to help us identify who the Christ was. There's so much in this that talks about preparation. We, we can go on about the temptations of Jesus. Maybe he was being prepared in the desert. And then we go on and we read about his calling of the first disciples. And actually in Mark's gospel, you just think, here they are, some guys on the road, and Jesus goes, come on guys, let's go. But no, no, this, this is just, once again, Mark just giving you the little snapshots of just boom, 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 this is what happened. But if you read a little bit more, Jesus already knows these guys. He already knows them. He's, he's already prepared them for the calling. I'm convinced that God wants to do something of great value with us. I'm convinced of it. But if we want to see a great movement of God, then we ourselves must prepare for God. There must be a great preparation in our own hearts. And this, I'm talking about people, this is when no one's looking. This is when you get into a quiet room. This is where you put the shawl over your head. This is where you block out all of the world and you say, God, I am here 100% for you. I am available to you. If you want the Holy Spirit to fill you, it will not happen half as much in these meetings as it will happen when you are alone with God. God is preparing us for something great. I know it. But we need to prepare for Him. And we need to prepare for the great move of God. Can I get you to stand up, Rick, please? This man here, Rick, many of you know, when I first met Rick, I was intimidated by him. (laughs) But this man has been prepared to encounter me. And he may not know it, but God had prepared Rick that I might come across the seas and see this man and get past the intimidation I felt and start to listen to what God had in him for me. This is a man that had been prepared for years and and all these stories and some of them funny and some of them scary were in preparation to encounter me as well. And, and And it's true for many people, but... Rick was prepared 
for me. And, and, and Rick will tell you himself, I was not much to, to give time to when I first arrived. But Rick was prepared to spend time with me. Rick was part of those people. He's one of those people. He's a John the Baptist type of a person who prepares a way. See, Rick, without even knowing, was preparing a highway in my heart for Jesus to come into in a way far more powerful than I'd ever known. Thanks, Rick. We have to be prepared for the encounter of Jesus. I want to tell you through a few of my little preparations that God's done for me. And then we're going to close with communion. But I want to encourage you people. I want you to see that actually there is nothing special about me being up here today. It's very unspecial me being up here. But there is a God who is very special. Back in 2002, before I even knew what I wanted to do with my life, I remember I was very clearly, I was standing as far away from the worship as I could possibly be. In fact, there was a balcony that was, the main people would be down there worshipping. And if you really wanted to get away, you could go up on a balcony where no one would see you and you'd be even further away. And as I was as far away as I could be from God, but just being obedient enough to be seen as a Christian, God speaks. And we're singing the song, Father of Creation. And it goes like this, Father of Creation, unfold your sovereign plan. Raise up a chosen generation that will march through the land. All of creation is longing for your unveiling of power. Would you release your anointing? Oh God, let this be the hour. And here I am just singing these songs. And as soon as those words raise up a chosen generation, I so clearly heard God speak to me saying, you are part of the raising up. Right there. As a 20-year-old, Jesus speaks. I'm not looking for him, but all of a sudden he just puts this in here and I can't see it. Help raise up a generation. You're crazy, not me. Preparation starts there. Fast forward 10 years or so. And I was at uh, one of the retreats in, um, where did we used to go? With Ray? Lincoln. That's it. Up in Lincoln. With Ray Lowe and a group there. And once again, I'm like, I don't know why, why I'm here. I feel very out of place. And let me just read what I had written down then. It says, I was at the men's retreat with New Frontiers, struggling with a high level of intellectual theology about limited atonement, or as John Colwell said, particular redemption. Also speaking of eschatology and eternity, etc. 
I was questioning if I should study these things in greater depth and how would I stay humble and not become puffed up on knowledge when, while walking, I saw a movement in the bush and thought it was a baby rabbit as there was plenty of them around. But something about this rabbit was different. I walked over to have a closer look and to my delight, it was not a rabbit but a hedgehog. I'd never seen a hedgehog before and was fascinated by it. The hedgehog didn't run away but just sat there safe behind its spikes. It was, as, it was then that God spoke to me and whispered, I will show you things you haven't seen. Not that they haven't been seen before, but that I will be the one to show you. Later on in that year, As I was praying one morning, God once again spoke. God is more capable of talking to me than I am of talking to him. I struggle to know what to say to my heavenly dad. I feel as if I have to break through to him or say the right words or just plain do something. This is not true. God has done the work. I can live in the glory of it and receive from my father true parenting. God's thoughts are good towards me. And he is not sitting in heaven waiting for me to get the right combination of words or thoughts to unlock the door so I can have a father-son relationship with him. God is active, not passive. He initiates with me, not I with him. Burn into my heart that I might get that you get me to spend time with you. It's not up to me to build a relationship. That is God's desire. He is building it. I get to enter into this relationship with joy and playfulness. Instead of me saying, I've got to get up and spend time with God, I must build relationship by praying, let me always come with the heart of, God, you have called me to you, here I am. And once again, this is God preparing me for what he wanted to do. These little things, the little times, he's just feeding these in. Later in 2012, I just titled this one, Why Do I Struggle? I talk the talk, but it, when it comes to walking the walk, I fall short. But it is the face of God I must seek and not his hand. Moses saw the glory of God hidden behind God's hand, but I get to see his face because of Jesus Christ's righteousness clothing me and making me perfect in the eyes of God. Thank you, Jesus, for your righteousness. Without it, I perish. It is what makes it possible to cry out to my heavenly dad, to see his face, to hear and obey his voice. How wonderful is your righteousness. How marvelous is your amazing grace. Life abundant in exchange for my rags. May I not analyze the prompting of the Holy Spirit, but be quick to obey, but be quicker to obey than to analyze what has come to pass. May I be bold when I feel weak and inadequate. May I be led by the Holy Spirit and follow what he places in my heart. Then let that make the journey to my mind after the event to be understood. May I seek obedience above understanding and knowledge. These are all before I even got up and spoke even once in front of the church. You see, God was preparing me. There needs to be a humbling of me before I can come humbly and speak.
2015. It is not time that matters, but intent. Are you intending to give me everything, all of your life, or just this time now? Once again, God's saying, what is your intent with preparation? The list goes on and on. I'll finish there. God has prepared me through many people here. I singled out Rick because he has been such a huge influence in me. And I can guarantee I would not be here today if that man hadn't been prepared to spend time with me. But he's not the reason I'm here. The reason I'm here is because he has been willing to be prepared by Christ. And there are other men that were prepared to go into Rick's life. And they were prepared by Christ. And this preparation that we are required to go upon people is here and now. It is today, it is tomorrow, it is the next day. We must be prepared. We have to be. If we want a great movement of God to occur, then we must greatly prepare for it. And I want to challenge you right now. I want to challenge you to every single day say at least these words, here I am, use me. We're just going to take communion. The kids are coming in. They can have, if, if your children are here, we can, it's a perfect opportunity to take communion with them because this is a preparation once again for them. So there's a table at the front and there's a table in a minute in the middle there. Let me pray and then we'll take communion. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for John the Baptist. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is a very strength and power we need to prepare. That when we wake up in the morning, it is your Holy Spirit that comes and prompts us. It is your Holy Spirit that empowers and strengthens us. And the Holy Spirit witnesses with our spirit and says, this is the truth, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then the Holy Spirit reveals to us, Yes, there he is. Truth confirmed, Christ revealed. It's the job of the Holy Spirit. So as we come right now, Holy Spirit, as we partake in this sacrament of juice and bread, as we remember the death and resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ, as he himself had to prepare for this, And now, even now as we take this, prepare us, prepare our hearts that we would be ready, ready for the the move of God. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.